All right, we're in a series entitled Happiness Redefined. Happiness Redefined, we're looking at the Beatitudes, and Matthew 5, verse 6, is the fourth Beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's important what you're hungering for. For they shall be filled. Remember the word blessed means happy. That's what it means literally in the Greek. So he's saying happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I want to remind you that the Beatitudes are not wishes of Jesus. They are not hopes. They are divine proclamations of truth. People who are poor in spirit, people who realize that they are bankrupt before God spiritually are happy people. People who mourn and repent over their sin are happy people. People who allow the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of meekness in their lives are happy. Those are the three Beatitudes we've already covered. And this one is people who hunger and thirst after righteousness. So the, uh, we've said it every week, the poor in spirit are happy. Those who mourn are happy. The meek are happy. So this week is the hungry are happy. Now, another way to say that is happy are hungry. <laughs> Happy are the hungry people. Now, I want you to think about this. If you were composing your own list of beatitudes, beatitude means it's a, it's a, a way to be happy. It's the list of, of happiness, all right? If you're going to compose your own list of how to be happy, and you've never seen or heard these beatitudes before, would you have put any of these on your list? <laughs> no. You wouldn't have said happier are the poor. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the hungry. You definitely wouldn't have said happy are the persecuted. And that's on this list. So there's something Jesus is talking about. And I want to explain to you. I've not said this before. I've shown you how the, the Beatitudes are in order. There's an order to them. I want to show you something else about the Beatitudes and the entire Sermon on the Mount. All right? Two things that you need to know about the Beatitudes. First of all, the Beatitudes are the way to get into the kingdom. It's how to get in the kingdom. You can't get in the kingdom without realizing your poverty as a spirit. You can't get in the kingdom without mourning over your sin. All right? But it's also, secondly, the Beatitudes are the way to live successfully once you're in the kingdom. Now, these are two very important points to understand the Beatitudes. They're how to get in the kingdom, and they're how to live successfully once you're in the kingdom. Because once you're in the kingdom... If you stop understanding and realizing that you are poor in spirit before God, you'll lose your joy. If you stop repenting and mourning over your sin when you miss the mark, you'll lose your joy. If you stop allowing the Holy Spirit to produce meekness in your life, you'll lose your joy. And if you stop as a believer hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you won't be happy. You understand what I'm saying? So this is not just a list of how to get in the kingdom. This is a list of how to live successfully once you're in the kingdom. Now, he says, happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. He didn't say, happy are those who hunger after success. Happy are those who hunger after honor. It's those who hunger after righteousness. So we need to know something. We've got three questions today, all right? Number one, what is righteousness? What is righteousness? If, if the Bible says... People who hunger after this are righteous. We need to know what this is, right? What is righteousness? All right. The first definition of righteousness I'm going to give you is not going to help you. But let me tell you what it is. Righteousness literally is the state 
of being righteous. That's literally what it means. Anytime you put ness on the end of a word, the suffix, N-E-S-S, it's the state of. You understand what I'm saying? So, uh, if you said blissfulness, that'd be the state of being blissful. Righteousness, the state of being righteous. So what we need to know now is, what is righteous? Because these are the happy people. All right, listen carefully to the definition of righteous. It is absolute, complete rightness, correctness, and perfection in every area. Absolute, complete, absolute, complete rightness, correctness, and perfection in every area. Those people are happy. You feeling pretty sad right now? It is correctness in your thoughts, actions, and feelings. Correctness and perfection in your thoughts, actions, and feelings. Thoughts, your mind. Actions, your will. Feelings, your emotions. Mind, will, and emotions. Your soul. So let me ask you a question. How many of you are righteous? Well, before you answer, let me show you scripture. Romans 3.10. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none perfect other than Jesus. This is talking about human beings born on this earth other than the Son of God. None absolutely perfect and complete and correct in all of their actions, decisions, and thoughts. None. But let me show you another scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the state of being perfect and complete before God. In Him. Is that good? That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Listen to me now, because I'm going to ask you that question again in a moment. I'm going to get a different answer. There are two types of people on the earth. Only two. Righteous and unrighteous. The righteous people have accepted Christ's sacrificial atonement on the cross. The unrighteous people have not accepted Jesus. So, how many of you are righteous? I see your hand. By the grace of God. There's two ways you can become righteous. You can be perfect in everything you do, or you can accept the perfect one. Which one you won't. <laughs> we become righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross. And let me give you a practical definition of righteousness. Righteousness is right standing before God. That's the practical definition. It is right standing before God. Now listen carefully. It is not right acting. Before God. That does not mean when I nail down grace, and you'll hear me, if you've been here for a while, I nail down grace. And every now and then when I nail down grace, something rises up in a lot of you that were raised in legalistic churches. And tell the truth, you're raised in legalistic churches, many of you, many of us. So anytime someone says what grace really is, it bothers us a little bit. Because I want to tell you something about grace. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. It's absolutely incredible. It's wonderful. Can I, can I tell you something about grace? Were you sentenced to hell before you got saved? You better believe it. That's what the Bible says. It uses the word condemned. We were condemned already. Condemned means past sentence on. Okay. You were sentenced to hell before you got saved. All right, listen to this. You've been sentenced to heaven. 
It's pretty good. And I can tell you why I know you've been sentenced to heaven, because your sentence of death was given to someone else. And it's already been executed. God can't go back on that. It's already been done. He's already paid for your sins, if you'll just accept Him. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's grace. Okay, so, it is right standing, not right acting. Anytime I nail down grace, and I nail down grace because that's where freedom comes. Freedom doesn't come from a preacher being legalistic with you. As a matter of fact, the more preachers preach law, the more you sin. Amen. First Corinthians fifteen fifty six. The strength of sin is the law. You know what gives sin strength? Law. And what's amazing is preachers get up and preach law, law, law. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And I'm going to tell you something. A man does not stay faithful to his wife because of law. He stays faithful because he loves her. Love is a higher motivation than law ever was. We love Jesus. And, that's, and we love Him because He first loved us. That's grace. So every time I nail down grace, and I will, I am not at all saying we shouldn't live righteously. I'm not saying that. We should live righteously. But living righteously doesn't get you to heaven. Righteousness, which is imputed from God through, by grace through faith, allows us, gets us to heaven and helps us to live better on this earth. But Jesus didn't die so you could act better. You have to understand that. He didn't say they're acting bad, so I'm going to send my son to die for them so they'll act better. Listen, if he had wanted you just to act better, he could have sent some lightning and got your attention. Every time you did wrong, just like that. He could have modified your behavior if he wanted to. He didn't die so you could act better. He died to redeem a hopeless, helpless, wicked sinner. He died because I had no chance without him, without his sacrificial death on the cross. So it's very important to understand, righteousness is not right acting before God. Because, listen to me, let me tell you something about righteousness. Here, here's the good news. There is a righteousness that will make you happy. It's imputed righteousness. There also is a righteousness that will make you miserable. It's self-righteousness. You try to be right, correct, and perfect before God by your actions, and you'll be miserable the rest of your life. You receive His righteousness, and you'll be happy. So, it's right standing, not right acting. Let me, let me illustrate this. This is a true story. I, uh, uh, one Chris, uh, New Year's Eve, uh, we were not at our home. Uh, we were out of town. We were not there. And a man got drunk and broke into our home. And uh, got in one of our beds and passed out. Woke up the next day in a strange house and ran out the door and dropped his cell phone. So a few days later, when we saw, when we came to the home and were, saw the door broken in and the bed slept in and found the cell phone, called the police. They located him by the cell phone. And uh, when they called him, here's the good news. He was so repentant. He immediately went to AA the next day. He realized because of this, you know, you wake up in a strange home, you realize you have a problem. <laughs> realized he had a problem, went to AA, said to the, to the police officer, please let me contact the people and ask for forgiveness and apologize. 
and I, I will pay all the damages, da-da-da, I will do all this. And, um, and we didn't press charges on him because of his repentant attitude. And it would have affected him in his job tremendously. We gave him grace. Uh, he wrote me a letter, sent me a check for the damages. I wrote him a letter back telling him he was totally forgiven and asked him to come to the church so I could meet him personally. He came to the church. He, he again said, I'm so sorry. I said, you don't need to. I've already forgiven you. You are completely forgiven. I shared the gospel with him. We hugged. It was a great meeting. Now, let me ask you something. Breaking down my front door and sleeping in my bed, were his actions right? No. But is he in right standing with me? Yes. Okay, listen to me carefully. You are the drunk. Did you get it? Your actions have been wrong, but you are in right standing with God because you've received His forgiveness. So, that's what righteousness is. Right standing with God. All right, number two. Here's second question. What does it mean to hunger and thirst after righteousness? What does it mean to hunger and thirst? Why did Jesus choose these words? You have to remember, we said this a few weeks ago, we all agreed on this, Jesus is perfect. Therefore, the Sermon on the Mount is perfect. Therefore, the Beatitudes are perfect. Therefore, His words are perfect. So He used perfect words to describe our response and our activity toward righteousness. Hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst are the two strongest natural impulses that we have. Now, we don't understand that in America. Most of us do not understand what it means to be hungry and thirsty. Our idea of hunger is, I normally eat at 12, and it's 12.15. <laughs> I'm starving. <laughs> have you ever heard that? Have your children ever said that to you? I'm starving. Dad, I'm starving. And here's they follow. I always follow it with this statement, and there's nothing in this house to eat. <laughs> is that right? And the pantry and the refrigerator are full. Okay, that's not starving. Our idea of thirst is it's been 30 minutes since I've had a Diet Coke. <laughs> a third of the world knows what hunger and thirst are. This generation knew what it was. Let me tell you what hunger and thirst are. Food and water are absolute necessities. Without them, you die. Is that right? Why did Jesus use those to describe righteousness? Listen to me. Catch this. Righteousness is a necessity. Without it, you'll die. Right standing with God is necessary for life. That's what he's saying in this passage. We have to understand that there has to come a, a, a disparity, a, a driving force within us to not only receive that right standing from God, but to maintain that relationship with Him. These are not just how you get in, but this is how you live successfully in the kingdom. You not only hunger for righteousness to come into the kingdom, but you continue to hunger for righteousness once you're in the kingdom. But you need to understand something about righteousness. Righteousness is a person. Listen to me carefully. Righteousness is found only in Jesus. Right standing with God is not found in performance. It is found only in a relationship with Jesus. Therefore, when it says those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, let me tell you what it's talking about. Hungering and thirsting after God. 
As a matter of fact, we quote a scripture and we forget about the righteousness part. Y'all ever heard Matthew 6.33? You ever quoted it? But seek first the kingdom of God. Look at these three words. And his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom. Many of us say, you know, the Bible says seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Uh, It says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And notice it's his, the word his. Notice the word his. Okay, let me tell you something about that. You can't, your own righteousness won't get you there. It's only his. So when we seek righteousness, when we hunger after righteousness, we're actually hungering after God. Let me show you some verses to prove that to you. Psalm 42, verse 2. My soul thirsts for God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. John seven thirty seven. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Me. I'm the way. I'm the righteousness. John six thirty five. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Again, there is an initial uh, uh, understanding of the Beatitudes that brings us in, the principles of the Beatitudes that brings us in the kingdom, but there's a walking. Let me say it another way. Uh, the beatitude, uh, this Beatitude is a gate into the kingdom, and it's a road you walk on once you're in the kingdom. It's a gate in, and it's a road you walk on afterwards. Now, let me show you how it's the entrance and how it's the continuation of this. First of all, when we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we're actually hungering after justification, our salvation. To be justified before God. To receive that forgiveness. To be cleansed of our sins. Justification. Secondly, though, once you're in the kingdom, it is a hungering after sanctification. Sanctification is to be set apart for God's use. To be set apart for God's use. In the temple, there were vessels that were sanctified. That meant that those vessels were set apart for God to use. Now... Remember, everything in the Old Testament has a, a revelation, an understanding, a spiritual application to us in the New. Okay, so I'm going to say it again, and you, you catch the revelation, catch the application. There were vessels set apart in the temple for God to use. That meant they were sanctified. Okay, this is the temple. The body of Christ, the church, makes up the temple of God and your vessels. Matter of fact, the New Testament tells us that we are to be vessels of honor fit for the master's use. So there should be a hunger and a thirst in you that continues for God even after you get saved. That sets you apart for God to be able to use you. And if you stop having that hunger and you allow sin to come into your life, it's not that you lose your salvation, your justification, but you lose your sanctification. You're not fit now for the master to use. You understand what I'm saying? So we have to still hunger for God. Now I want to tell you something. I love you. I love you so much. And I am so proud of you. Because you are the hungriest, thirstiest people that I've ever met in my life. And I appreciate that you bring your Bibles to church. I appreciate that you've learned to do devotionals during the week. And that you want to spend time with God. Don't ever stop hungering after God. Because it's not just how you get in, it's how you live successfully once you're in. So, that's the second question. What does it mean to hunger and thirst? Here's the third question. What does it mean to be filled? What does it mean to be filled? Because this is the promise. Happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. What does it mean to be filled? Okay, this word filled is very interesting. It literally means to gorge. To gorge. 
let me give you a word that will help us in the American culture. Thanksgiving. <laughs> it is to be filled to the full where you have to loosen your belt, in essence. It is to be completely satisfied. I can't eat another bite. I'm full. I'm satisfied. Let me show you a couple of scriptures on that. Psalm 107, verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Notice the word goodness, because we want to talk about that in a moment. Jeremiah 31, 14. And my people shall be satisfied, filled to the full with my goodness, says the Lord. Now, it's important to understand goodness. I'll come back to goodness in just a moment. But let's talk about something first. Moses asked God to see his glory. Moses said, God, would you show me your glory? I want to see your glory. Now, let me tell you what glory is. Glory is what you're best at. Glory is what you're, uh, what you're famous for. For instance, if I said, what is Tiger Woods famous for, what would you say? Golf. In other words, he's best at it. And he gets glory from that. He gets attention. People know. People, he's, he gets fame from it. He's famous because he's very good at golf. Uh, what is Michael Jordan famous for? Basketball. Now, I have to tell you that my wife is not a big sports fan. So I said, what's Michael Jordan famous for? And she said, underwear. <laughs> I said, sugar, before he did underwear commercials, uh, he played basketball. So anyway, uh, so let's use the basketball illustration for church, okay? <laughs> he, he was best at it. He was famous for it. He got glory for it, right? Okay. So Moses says to God, show me what you're famous for. That's what he's saying. Show me what you're best at. You know what God said? He said, okay, I'll let you see my goodness. I'll cause my goodness to pass before you. You know what God said? You want to know what I'm best at? I'm best at being good to people who are bad. That's what I'm best at. I'll show you that. So, we are satisfied with the goodness of God. That is the wonderful blessing of hungering after God, is that we're filled to the full with God. Now, this verse, though, is a paradox to me. Just like all of the Beatitudes are, it's talking about being hungry and being filled at the same time. How can you be full and still be hungry? I mean, if you want to know the truth, this verse reminds me of Chinese food. <laughs> right? You just eat and eat and eat, and then when you walk out, you're getting in your car, you think, I'm, I'm hungry. How is it possible to be hungry and full at the same time? Um, do any of you have a, um, a child that you can't fill up? Yeah. Okay, I've got three children. Um, two of them will eat about half the food on their plate, and they're full. They say, I'm full. And they leave half the food on their plate. One, not to mention any names, <coughs> James, um, he can't get filled up. Since he's about 14, he's 22 now. He can't get filled up. And he, he, he eats what we don't eat. He eats all of his food, and then he eats the rest. He's in a restaurant one time, and he's just eating. He doesn't look up either when he's eating. He's very serious. And he's eating like this. And the waitress came to take away Josh's plate, and he went like this. And 
I'm going to tell you a secret about our family, all right? This is the truth. My family will verify this. When we go out to eat as a family, James drives a separate vehicle so that he can stay after we leave and eat what we left. This is the truth. And one time, we were all, six plates on the table. And think about this, six plates, we've all left, James is still there. Six meals, and we had coupons for a free appetizer and a free dessert. So we ordered the big appetizer, it has like nine things on it, you know, because it was free. You know, so you order the, don't laugh, you've done it too when it's free. (laughs) So we got the great big appetizer, and we got the great big dessert. Well, we all eat a couple of bites, and we're ready to go. So we leave, and this couple comes in and sits down at the table beside James. He's the only one at the table. There are six plates, a huge appetizer, and a huge dessert. And this woman kept looking at him. And James is just, he's not intimidated at all by people. And he's eating. And when he eats, his cheeks get full like a chipmunk. And so he just, he looks over at her and she looks at him real. But he just keeps, he just smiles at her. He said, I noticed she kept looking at me, you know. And then he hears her say to her husband, look at that kid. He's got six meals. He ordered six dinners. And he has an appetizer and a dessert. And he's skinny as a rail. And so James is just kind of this way. He just... He's just not afraid of anybody, and he just kind of likes to have fun with people. So when she looked over him again, he said to her, I heard that. (laughs) But then he comes home, and within an hour, he says, do we have anything to eat? You can't fill him up. Okay, listen to me carefully. God created you with a bottomless soul. A bottomless soul. He created you hungry. You were born hungry. Not just naturally, spiritually. You were born hungry. And you need to understand something. Nothing in this world can satisfy your hunger except God. No job, no money, no material possessions, no relationship, no success. You will always be hungry until you meet God. And you say, well, if it's a bottomless soul, then how can I ever get full? Listen to me carefully, because God is infinite. He doesn't have a bottom either. He is infinite. Your soul is eternal. It's going to last forever, but God's eternal also. That's the way you can come to church, have an encounter with God in worship, eat the Word of God, and leave full, and think to yourself when you're leaving, I want more of God. I'm full, but I want more of God. I'm going to have to read my Bible this week. I'm going to have to listen to some worship CDs this week. Because I can't get enough of God, even though I'm completely satisfied. And here's what God says. People like that, they're happy. Those are the happy people. The people that are hungry for me, they'll be satisfied and they'll be happy. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.